everyone, welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands. I'm the Head of Content and B2B Marketing, and I'm joined today by Sadie Barron, who is the CMO of Reed Smith. So Sadie, before we begin, can you please just tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Reed Smith? Yeah, thank you, David, and uh, thank you for inviting me to be part of the podcast. Yeah, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of Reed Smith. I've been in the role for about six years. I've been with the firm for nine. Prior to that, I was with another law firm and also PwC. Um, and I've been doing this legal marketing gig now for um, yeah, since 1999, a very long time. Uh, I have a team of around about 110 people globally. Uh, we're a full service, $1.5 billion global law firm. So, um, yeah, it keeps us all very busy and keeps me um, slightly grey most days. <laughs> well, you don't you don't look or sound it. So, um, well, thank you for joining me. Um, we're, we're constantly hearing, so I want to jump straight into it. We're constantly hearing that there's a, a new era of buyer behaviours. And normally what that, you know, what, what people are talking about is that buyers want to do things on their terms. They don't want to be, you know, sold to aggressively or anything in, in, along those kind of lines. But in your tenure at Reed Smith, how have you personally seen buyer behaviours change? So look, there's no doubt about it. Um, we, you know, with the five generations in the workforce that we are encountering, you've actually got five different buying attitudes um, to varying degrees. And, and they really do go from kind of very price driven, um, perhaps people of, of my era, uh, where we were looking for cost, we were looking for value, we were looking for all of those type, type of sort of buying decisions to a very values based, purpose led um, generation coming in to, to decision making and buying. Um, who are looking for something entirely different. You know, if I think back just five years, how many RFPs would have landed in uh, my team's inboxes uh, looking for our ESG credentials? I probably could have counted them on one hand. Now, almost every single RFP that we're encountering wants us to demonstrate how we are being sustainable, how we are being inclusive, how we are socially active, um, how we govern our business um, and what we do. And, that, and that's quite right. You know, I think that that's a really good step forward. Um, and the other thing that I think you have to factor into this is not only the generational aspect of it, but then you've got the cultural aspect of it. Um, if I think about doing business in China, it is incredibly different to doing business in, in the US. And then should we get into the gender debate? Because women buy very differently to men. Um, so it's a really complex topic now. And it, it's not something that, you know, you can just sort of apply one set of principles to. You've got to constantly be putting yourself in your client's shoes or your customer's shoes, um, thinking about who is it who's going to be making the decisions and what are those, the, those triggers? Um, and then how are you going to best demonstrate your capability, your service or whatever it is that you're doing um, mm. to meet those needs? That's really complicated. I mean, when you've got five different generations and presume, like you say, you know, each one kind of responds to a slightly different message. How do you actually tailor your marketing? Do, do you find yourself kind of zeroing in on, on one generation, if you like, in like an ABM style approach? Or are you just sort of trying to tick all boxes and cover everything? So I think you've got to be as sophisticated as you possibly can. And that means you've got to do your research up front. You've got to try and understand who is ultimately going to be making the decision. And if it is a panel, then you've actually got to adapt and think about the multiple sort of personalities or, or generations or cultures that are involved in that decision. Um, I don't think we get it right, if I'm honest with you. I don't necessarily think that... Um, uh, it's perfect, a perfect science for us by any stretch of the imagination. And far too often, you know, I, I roll my eyes when I see a document going out that, that starts with the phrase that Reed Smith, we have 30 offices in, uh, I'm like, so what? The client doesn't care. 
Um, and then, you know, that's our job in marketing and business development to, to, to push back a little bit on that and try and find what it is that we think is going to make that difference. I mean, effectively, we're in a relationship-based sales environment. That's that's what we're doing. We're not selling widgets. We're not selling cans of food. Um, you know, we are selling services and they are intangible. So you're trying to demonstrate that you're, you can do that job better, faster, whatever it is that the client is listening and looking for. And that's the critical word. What is the client looking for? Um, and you've got to find that out by asking those appropriate questions up front. Again, like, I don't, there's no rocket science to it. Um, you know, maybe we'll get into a bit of a discussion about how can, AI and, um, and computers help us and data help us. And there's a lot that can be done with that that can help you get further down that decision-making process. But at the end of the day, sometimes it is just about personality. It's about that connect chemistry that goes on in those meetings and, um, and trying to find a way to understand that before you get in the room. Mm. I, I mean, I'd love to talk about AI and all, all the, the different applications. I mean, is that something you are doing currently or is it something you've just kind of got an eye on for the future? No, look, um, you know, I'm blessed to be part of an organisation that is investing in uh, in innovation and tech. Generally, we have a yeah. chief innovation officer who joined us a year or so ago, and, and he's really, really focused on that. Um, I actually did a session with my directors just last week, looking at our strategy for the next three years. And, and the number one thing that we've come away with is we must be much more data driven. Our decision making needs to be based in data and fact. Um, I've said for some time, actually, I'm quoted on other other podcasts that, you know, everyone says content is king. And I am talking to you as a B2B <laughs> publication. So I'm not going to lie. Content is important. But without data, it's almost useless. So it's actually the combination now for me. Um, it's it, how do we mine the data? How do we how do we find those insights? How do we look around corners for our clients using data? Um, and then how do we actually help that data when we're trying to get it ready to get in the room with them um uh to 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 make more informed decisions to have better conversations mm. um and, that, and you know that's pretty critical and and if anything like probably we're a bit slow to 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 use the data i think about other sectors um in uh, in sort of sales um you know they've been far more on this than, than we have um but we're getting there and actually we have a lot of amazing data um so we're just just got to work out how we use it more um, effectively. Mm. I think that's the challenge, isn't it? It's that there's so much data in this day and age, which, you know, at face value seems great because you've got more stuff to use. Presumably it can inform decisions better and, and so on. But at the same time, it almost becomes quite overwhelming because you've got one data set that says one thing and another data set says another thing. It, how do you kind of zero in on, on the data that's actually useful and, and try and block out all the other noise? It is a real challenge. So we're looking at the life cycle of, of sort of client relationships and, and interactions. And that's where we are starting um, from a marketing business development perspective. So, you know, yeah. So we have great data, web, web analytics, of course, in, in one bucket. And then, you know, we've got our kind of email marketing tools and we get data from that. And then there's the social side of it and the data that comes out of the social side. Um and actually what we're trying right do, to do right now is kind of knit that together to give us a more holistic picture, because otherwise you are just looking at it from one lens. Mm. And sometimes that might want to make you a bit suicidal when you realize that you click through open rates for your client alerts is less than 2%, um, which is not great. It's not doing the mm. job it should be doing. Um, so from my perspective, I think that's it's sort of lasering in on, on, on what's the 
what's the goal that you're trying to achieve with your clients? And if it's say brand awareness, brand engagement, then what's the data that's going to help you understand how well you're doing to give you your benchmark? And then what data can you use to help work out if you're improving, um, what tweaks you need to make? because um, you're right, look, we we are we have so much data. Uh, it is very quickly overwhelming. The first time I did my marketing scorecard with my team was about three years ago, and I think it was 38 pages of data to start with. And I was like, "Wow, I can't, I can't use that internally." We've got it down to three or four now in an executive summary, and that roughly talks about, frankly, the value that marketing and business development is adding to the business. Um, mm-hmm. We're a cost, so that's what I'm trying to demonstrate. Uh, but it, it's not easy to do. It really isn't. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that there are people out there that are far more sophisticated at this than, than we are, but that's where we're starting. Um, and then what we really want to do is, is next year is, is start to inform the strategy, inform the decisions that we're taking. That, that's the critical piece for me. Mm. Yeah, it, it's interesting you say that because I think you're in good company. At our um, Leaders Forum event, which took place in September, uh, we brought together around 50 B2B CMOs and, and other senior marketers. And, and it was, you know, a day of kind of you know, keynote sessions, roundtables, networking, all the sorts of things you might expect. Um, but in one of those sessions, we presented a list of 10 major trends that we kind of felt were you know, quite prevalent in the world today. And we asked all the guests to sort of rank uh, which ones they thought provided the greatest opportunity. And AI, interestingly, was the one that ranked number one. But one thing that also emerged was that a lot of people in the room were also not entirely sure how they just knew there was an opportunity there. Um, so I guess that that's where that's where there's probably a chance to really do something exciting if you can if you can figure out how to use AI, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And you know, look, there's been a lot of debate, and there, you know, are we all going to be replaced by computers? And even that debate happens in law with lawyers having, you know, do we need lawyers? And my view is that the data and AI will take you so far. But if we go right back to where we started on this conversation. AI can't replace the chemistry that you get on with somebody. And nobody really understands why I get on well with David today. Um, but maybe, you know, I didn't get on well with Bill yesterday. Uh, that, that's just, that's chemistry. That's phys- physical, I don't know, stuff that goes around in the ether. Um, mm. So I think, you know, it, 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 for me, there's, there's, there's using the data, using AI strategically and layering it into your strategy um, and then and then thinking about, well, how are, how else am I complementing that and, in, and improving that situation to, to add the, the human factor in, which, mm. you know, at the end of the day, hopefully in my career will still be there. Because um, uh, I think it's really important that we don't lose sight of that sort of physical chemistry piece mm. um, in, in relation, relationship based sales anyhow. Yeah, I think you'll be safe. I don't think a robot's going to take your job anytime soon. Although I'm in content, so I might be replaced by some AI copywriting app in about a couple of years. Um, but moving into 2023 and beyond, um, you've mentioned a couple of times about you know looking to improve and do things better. What are you doing to you know improve your marketing and make you more efficient in 2023 and beyond? So um, one of the things I'm really focused on is is being more agile. Um, the structure of our team reflects the structure of our, our, our firm, which is largely we are, are either practice areas, so areas of law like M&A or disputes, litigation. Um, we're industry focused, so we kind of look outward and think about well, you know, what's happening to our clients in those key industries. And we're only in five. We're quite focused in that respect. Um, and then we have something that we, we, we call diagonals because effectively that's what they are. They cross both mm. industry and practice group. 
And that's where it, for, it fails for me. So one of the big improvement areas that I'm looking at is how am I more agile to market in those things that are really hot topics that actually, you know, we didn't see coming or we did see coming, but it's taken us a long time to stand up a campaign um, because we're navigating these silos. So that's one area that I'm really interested in doing much more with next year. Um, a kind of fast fail mentality, which is pretty alien in a law firm because failure is not really a term that we like to use. <laughs> at um, pivot or persevere type mentality, yep. um, getting out, getting to our clients with things quickly, getting their views, taking it back, adapting, going again. Um, I'm going to have, I, I call them like my little ninja squad. Um, I want them to report directly to me um, so that they're not actually embedded within a particular team, quite a small team. Um, if I get my way and I get my investment next year um, and yeah, kind of just get out there and do stuff quickly because that's one of my greatest frustrations is how long it takes us to take a campaign to market. Um, mm -hmm. We're a very cautious industry. We're a very cautious firm. I understand why we have to have that levels of, of caution in there because we are, you know, if we're giving a legal opinion that could come back to bite us. Um, but actually half the time we're not half the time we're actually just out there with a, you know, actually a more kind of business-led opinion, not a, not a piece of law, um, in which case, actually, I think we could be much faster. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be something that will be really quite fun for us to do next year. Um, it's kind of a marauding squad of marketing ninjas across my team getting out there and, and, and frankly, just, you know, pushing campaigns as quickly as possible. Yeah. Is that something you found that, you know, the board are actually on well, you know, are the board on board with that? Because I can imagine when you work for such a big company, there's so many stakeholders to engage and, and get kind of sign off from that it must just be impossible to get anything to move quickly. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it, it's not easy. Um, I'm running with it because my global managing partner has got a particular interest in one area, which is data and digital, um, because every client, every company in, in the whole world is struggling with, you know, either navigating data, governance, compliance, cyber risk, um, and then leveraging it uh, for a digital advantage. So he's he's kind of on board with, with that. Um, I'll be honest and say I've not necessarily told him exactly what I'm planning to do. Um, I think we might be going for forgiveness rather than permission um, and seeing how we get on with that. Um, and, you know, and I'm going to have to repurpose some headcount to, to, to do it. Um, which is fine at the moment because we're in a such a high war on talent. We've got quite a lot of churn going on. So it's giving me the ability to, uh, to think about whether I can reuse headcount in a different way. Um, but it's not new. Agile marketing has been around for ages. Um, so again, you know, if there are CMOs out there thinking, oh, I'd quite like to look into this, you know, um, you are following a tried and tested approach in software marketing that's been around for a long time. And I plan on using that um, myself in the arguments as to why I want to do it. Mm. Uh, and I think you've got to try and try it and um, and hopefully the success will breed more success and you get permission to carry on doing more of it or at least you've had a go um, and that's sort of where I'm coming at it from yeah. Uh, but yeah I think you do need some senior sponsorship um, otherwise you, <laughs> your career could be quite short so yeah, fair enough. Um, well, yeah, I, I completely agree. And uh, just a quick note to our audience as well, um, that Propolis, which is our community intelligence platform, and it's just recently had a, a big revamp. Um, this is our uh, our site, which you have to you have to be a member to join. Um, and it provides you with access to all our on-demand sessions from recent conferences. Um, but it mainly it provides you with um, 
you know, a chance to make better opportunities and solve issues faster by asking a, a panel of unbiased experts for bespoke real-time advice. Also allows you to benchmark against your peers so you can build a strategy, win buy-in. Um, there's training courses within that. You can develop a motivated and high-performing team. There's much, much more to it. Um, but crucially, there is an entire area dedicated to the issue of data. Um, so if data is something that uh, any of our listeners are struggling with, as we know, it can be a complicated subject. Um, it might be worth checking out properly. So I will leave a link in the description. But Sadie, moving onwards, um, we've talked about uh, you know changing buyer behaviours, but I think marketing itself is actually gradually becoming more frequently seen as you know a revenue driver, not just a cost centre. Um, you know, is that something you you personally have experienced at Reed Smith, or is there still some of that kind of outdated or, or more traditional view of marketing? No, no, very much so. Um, as I said right at the beginning, you know, we are a we are a cost to the business, so therefore, you know, we've got to prove our value. And it and look, we we fall into roughly two key areas um, which underpin the strategy of the firm. One is brand enhancement and reputation, it kind of says what he does on the tin, and then the other one is a growth mindset. Mm. And what are we doing to support the growth mindset, which leads directly to revenue generating opportunities? So, you know, we are mining um, the data. Uh, we're mining our clients. We, we have a key account management um, function, which is looking for 10% growth year on year across the portfolio. Um, we're no different to pretty much every other firm that's looking at that. Um, we're looking for cross-selling opportunities. We're looking to, I think the really big thing is about that piece I talked about, horizon scanning for our clients. And then how, how can we make sure our clients know what they should be considering, thinking about, looking to invest in, looking to avoid, um, and how do we get out in front of them to present those opportunities to to to, to bring um, revenue in because they come to us because we've brought it to them you know they want to appoint us to do that piece of work so yeah it, it is it is a critical part of, of our function it's a critical part of what we do and in fact you know if I look at the number of headcount I have in my team over two thirds of them are are developed are, are BDers and are therefore in, directly involved in revenue generation to one degree or another now it's hard to track. Um, you know, did that piece of work come because somebody did something in marketing or did it come because actually we've been working with that client, building that relationship mm. for many years? That's that's really hard. Um, anecdotally, we'll, we'll occasionally get told, oh, you know, this guy showed up to this event. He was really impressed with this client alert, uh, really engaged with this piece of thought leadership. And that led to a piece of work. But that's that's a bit anecdotal. We don't we don't track it from that perspective, um, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're a big team at Reed Smith that are all out there working together to bring to bring the clients the services that they need, or mm. we think more importantly, we think they need and we need to tell them about because um, that's yeah. that's the that's the critical part. Looking ahead, I think attribution is one of the it commonly comes up as just one of the hardest things to actually prove in a lot of areas of marketing, and you know obviously we're going into recession, um, and you know I think it's fair to say a lot of marketing budgets will be cut. Um, particularly at smaller companies, I imagine. Do you think? Um, do you think then that that marketers are going to be kind of forced into this road where they're having to focus on things like lead generation because it's more, it's, you know, it's easier to prove the attribution as opposed to things like brand, which might actually long term deliver, you know, greater revenue. Yeah, look, I think um, it twenty twenty three is going to be a very turbulent year. People are going to be tightening their belts for sure would will be no different i'm sure um actually i'm not sure it's quite as sort of linear as saying oh well you're going to do lead gen rather than brand mm. um 
I think some. I think what you have to have is a is a clear strategy, and then you've got to stick to it. Um, and I think the the recession in two thousand eight two thousand nine, there's great data that came out of that that the firms that invested still in marketing and business development went on to be much stronger performers. So, you know, cutting it all back is not necessarily the answer. But I do think being very strategic about what you do, probably twenty twenty three and beyond, is going to be key. And then it, then it comes back to the strategy of your firm. So, you know, if you if lead generation and new business is actually what you need, then that's going to take you down a decision route towards, well, lead gen opportunities. That, that's what we need to do. If actually you've got a quite a good client base and, you know, I, I would say that, you know, we've got a client base to die for. Actually, probably our focus is going to be more around how do we shore up those relationships? How do we make sure that we are, um, as I keep saying, looking ahead for our clients, helping our clients, delivering services to them that they need um, and, and continuing to build our preeminent brand in those five key industries. That's probably going to be as important, um, if not more important than the mining for new clients, because there's a cost mm. of bringing a new client on board um, to, to, to any business. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I still think that um, you can do quite a lot for not a lot if you've got really talented people in your team and so for me next year is about shoring up the team as well mm. trying to defend the headcount not that I'm under any pressure at all but you know if that came for me that would be the important thing because with people you can be creative you can do stuff you don't need to have big swathes of budget and I know that we we talked about you know I'm, I'm 110 people I've got a really big million dollars budget you know, it's not the same necessarily for all your listeners. Um, I think really keep, really being focused on what's the talent that you need in your team to execute whatever your marketing strategy is, because without that, I, I don't see how you how you move it forward. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, we, we spoke at the very, very beginning of the episode. We spoke about evolving buyer behaviors, but ultimately all that really is, is just evolving human behaviors. And it sounds like it's the same it's causing an issue on the kind of sales side, but it's also causing an issue on the internal kind of management side. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it is. I think, you know, look, a lady of my age, um, I, I come at it uh, from a certain perspective. You know, I, I went to work five days a week and that's what I did. And I, I worked hard and um, played hard, I guess, back in my early career. Um and, it, and it's not the same now. I'm, I'm the mother of a 27 and a 24 year old and, and they're very different. You know, they have different kind of ideas about what they want and, and how they do it. And I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm a bit wide eyed by it. And, uh, other times I'm like, OK, how can we harness this? How can we take some of these ideas and how can we we work with people in a different way? And the pandemic, I guess, accelerated a lot of that going on because of the use of technology. Um, you know, here we are today on a Zoom which, you know, before if we wanted to do this, we'd have been in the studio somewhere recording it. So, um, it, yeah, it's, it's a big melting pot of stuff that's going on right now. It's going to shake down. I think the recession, as I say, is probably going to dampen down some of that sort of jumping around stuff. And it will be fascinating to see when we come out, perhaps by 2025, maybe we'll come back and do a refresh in 2025, David, um, of, of how things panned out and, and what we saw and what we learned. Because there's a whole combination of factors going on. technology different human behaviors, different buying behaviors, post-pandemic um, kind of lifestyle choices, and then actually jobs and, and what's going to happen um, as we navigate through the, the turbulent next couple of years. Yeah. yeah. 
I wish I had the answer. I'm, unfortunately, I'm not a futurologist or whatever it is. But well, I thought you we'll did see. have the answer. I thought you did have the answer. That's why I brought you on the episode. <laughs> oh, well, I can make a prediction. But I'm not <laughs> doing that. No, no, no. I, I won't. I won't ask you to uh, look at your crystal ball. But um, back to marketing itself quickly. Um, one thing I really want to speak about is creativity because I think it's very easy. Um, you know, when you're reading and speaking about marketing, marketing to instantly go down the route of data and insights and proving ROI and all these things, which are obviously, you know, crucial. No one's denying it. But at the heart of good marketing is creativity. And I just I, I'd like to understand that at an organization like Reed Smith, when you've got, I think you said over 100 people in your marketing team, there's obviously hundreds of thousands of other um, members of staff as well. How do you ensure that that initial creative spark actually remains kind of untainted and doesn't have, you know, several kind of uh, cooks in the kitchen all tweaking with it. And so by the end, it's just a complete mess and it's boring and it's awful. Oh, right. Well, um, I think you have to, again, forgiveness rather than permission is one of my <laughs> mantras and my team do hear me use it quite a lot because you're right, you know, look, in a partnership environment as well, where you're, <clears throat> you're playing with effectively their money, um, and, you know, we have 350 odd owners of our business. Um, it can be really challenging. Uh, what you have to do, I think, is, is be sure about your ideas. Um, you have to use, I hate to say it, but you have to use facts and data to back it up as well as to why mm. things will work in a certain way. Um, I will say that I, I, I don't think um, I get too much pushback from creativity because I think our lawyers would probably say, well, I'm I'm a lawyer. I'm, I'm not meant to be creative. And that's a very generalized statement on my part. But most of them are pretty happy to leave us alone because we're in marketing to, to, to come up with the creative bonkers ideas. Um, and I don't believe there's anything as such a thing as a bad idea. I just think there are ideas that need to be tweaked a bit further. So I'm constantly pushing people to do things as differently as possible. Um, thinking about how we stand out. Differentiation is absolutely critical and key in a really competitive market like we're in. Um, so how do you do those different things? How do you um, make sure that you are, are, are standing out to your clients as best you can? Um, but we do have to operate within certain um, remits. Uh, you know, we are, as I say, a kind of risk averse industry. Um, because we're there to prevent it or to basically sue you because you have got it wrong. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a, a fine line, a fine balance, I find. But, it, yeah, I think if you are, if you are a good communicator um, and you're a good salesperson of your ideas and you're confident, um, then I, I encourage everybody to have a go at, at whatever it is that we're, we're, we're trying to do. Um, mm -hmm to push out those crazy ideas because I think one of my first bosses said to me, think about you, Sadie, is you'll bring me 10 bonkers ideas, but the 11th one will have something in it that just we can play with, we can work with. And I live and live and die by that now. Um, and if anything, I'm, I'm being CMO, I kind of miss some of that creativity because, you know, it's my team that are doing it. It's not so much me. Um, and I love it when I get involved in a, a creative project. So, yeah, yeah I think... I'll be I'll be honest, those aren't great odds. <laughs> it's true. Um, I, don't, uh, uh, I don't dispute that. Um, I, I guess what I would say, um, if you want to have a really creative uh, career, agency yeah. might, might be more for you than being client side because mm. you do get, 
you do get it watered down. Inevitably, you get it watered down. You get people's opinions. Yeah. But I would say that if you are employed in a role such as I am in marketing, that you are brought in to be a specialist and an expert, um, and that is respected. So you can bring creativity to to what you do. Um, uh, and actually, the thing I love is it's a very, very, very gamification type environment being in a law firm. So if you do do something that's really great for X, then you will find that, oh, Y wants it as well, or they want something better. Um, mm. And then you can inject creativity that way. So it is possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot now, because um, you mentioned, you know, the importance of using creativity to make Reed Smith stand out, and, you know, differentiate yourself from the competition. So how do you do that through your marketing? Is there any particular examples you've got that you can share? So I think that, um, you know, we talked about kind of the horizon scanning piece. Um, And one of the things that um, I think we do really well is our our campaigns, our thought leadership um, campaigns through our industry groups. We said we only care about five, which is quite narrow for a law firm. Most law firms have sort of, I don't know, 15, 20 industries they care about. We just five. And what we try and do in each one is something that really does make a difference. One of the ones that I think we've done extremely well is our metaverse report. Now, if you speak to the leaders of our entertainment media practice that put that together, they will tell you that meta followed us because we started talking about metaverse way before Facebook changed their name. Um, But actually, you know, really, when you look at the the two reports that we've put out, we are we are cutting edge. Um, the things I love about the report, some of it was written by our trainees, um, which is, you know, again, tapping into the insights of the generation that this is completely natural and normal to. I'm not even going to begin to tell you, David, what, what it's all about, because Meta uh, is, is an area that I'm still getting my head around about why I would want to buy a virtual hockey jersey for my avatar. But that's my generation. I know that my kids would just say, uh, mum come on, get with it. Um, But I think the application of meta, the application of VR, the application of that technology in Web3 that's coming is going to be transformational um, going forward. So that's the sort of thing that makes me really proud when we're really kind of stepping up and saying, I'm putting our heads above the parapet and saying, this is how we think it's going to go. And that's what I love. Have that opinion. Get out there. if someone wants to shoot you down about it, someone wants to take you to task for it, brilliant. We're starting a conversation with somebody. Let's pile on in and, and talk about why we think we know what we're talking about and why clients should talk to us if they want to talk about meta in any shape or form. Um, and that's just one of them. We've done loads of stuff in the energy transition area. We're doing stuff in um, aviation freight, uh, another industry that's just been so impacted. So they're the sorts of things that I really like doing. Yeah, great stuff. So I'm going to leave you with that one final question, um, and I think we'll wrap it up today. So 2020 to 2021, I'm going to broadly define as the era of the digital event. So webinars were everywhere and everyone got very bored of them very quickly. Um, and then 2022, I think, has been marked in some ways by a return to the physical. So physical roundtables, physical conferences. Um, but I just want to understand what trends do you expect to dominate 2023 from a marketing point of view? And what are you personally doing about these at Reed Smith? So I think that um, a continuation of in-person is, is going to be important in 2023. I think people have recognised how important those social interactions are. Um, but the experience at them has got to keep evolving. Um, we can't go back to what we used to do. Uh, I think people have got used to shorter, sharper 
better content um, delivered in a way. So I see that as a big trend that's going to keep on pushing through next year. Um, I think that, I mean, I don't want to use the D word any more than I already have, but, you know, mining that data to find out what it is that really matters and then delivering in that content is, is going to be critical and key. And I, you know, look, I've, we talked about it already, but those standing up, those really fast to market agile campaigns that are um, kind of niche and are uh, events driven will be good. Because if we just think back to this time last year, did any of us really know that Russia was going to do what they planned on doing, you know, and the impact that would have on businesses in the supply chain. Um, who knows what's going to come around the corner in terms of the next macroeconomic um, challenge that we've got going on, the global recession as it bites, the impact that will have. We've got to be ready to help our clients. So for me, speed to market agility um, and continuing social interactions in a way that is meaningful and sharp, sharp, interesting content um, is, is what's going to win the day, I think. And I will take that advice very, um, very sagely because I am head of content. So I need to, <laughs> I need to up my game. Um, Sadie, thank you very much. Um, that is all we have time for. So thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.